The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, one more time, good morning. Congratulations for everybody that got through the construction and was able to get on site today. That was a bit of a surprise. Some of you might've noticed that a water main broke on Friday out here. It had nothing to do with the construction, so it is not on us. Uh, It just happened, so yeah. Thank you, Pete's over here. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, when I saw it at first, I had a panic, like, oh no, what did we do? But anyway, um, so yeah, they're still having to repair the road, so they closed things down. And so thanks for being gracious about trying to get on site. And uh, if you drove through some of the, some of the uh, signage and stuff that would block you and you ruined anything, let me know, because I need to let the city know that so you pay for it. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I want to take a moment. I want to pray real quick. We're going to be in John chapter 21 uh, in a few moments. A series, How to Study the Bible. Today is part four. Uh, I want to pray first, but I want to pray for our young people. How many have some young people over at camp? Um, how many of you guys go, it's been awesome to have them gone? Yeah, I'd, I mean, I only have my hand halfway up, but sort of. Um, uh, my kiddos being gone, enjoying just some uh, time with my wife. But I um, just want to pray for them as they uh, have their last gathering right now and then pack up and start heading back. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for our young people. What a fun day to dedicate some young kiddos, but also just pray over our youth. God, thank you for a camp experience from Friday to today. Obviously, God, we pray they would get back safe, but we also pray that they would have have had some profound moments of gathering and hanging out and building relationship together, but also uh, gathering in, in worship and gathering to hear scripture and be challenged to experience your Holy Spirit maybe working in them, Lord, deepening that commitment to you. So we thank you for this time. We pray your blessing over all of it and that we would enjoy the fruit of it in the coming weeks as we hear about how you moved in the hearts of our young people. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of years ago, how many guys out there um, do some, some maybe work on cars, maybe not a mechanic, but basic work, oil changes, basic repairs, anybody? Yeah, there's a, a few of us. And um, I used to change my own oil all the time until I high-centered my car in my garage one time. Uh, I kind of quit doing that. But um, I, I, my daughter's timing belt broke a few years ago, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sure I can, I can take care of that. So I went to the store and bought a new timing belt and brought it home, and it, it didn't fit. It was too small. So I'm like, okay, well, so I went back to the store and got a larger one and I tried it and it still didn't fit. So I went back and got another one and it still didn't fit. And I'm like, this is so frustrating because you drive to the store and head home and try. And finally I went to YouTube. How many of you guys know that there's some answers on YouTube? (laughs) I finally went to YouTube and I looked up the car and all this stuff. And the problem was I was following the wrong path for the belt and that matters. Um, And so I'm like, man, that's so dumb. So I went back to the store and bought the original belt that I had to put in the car. And then I couldn't get it on because it's supposed to be pretty tight and I'm not a super great mechanic. So I'm like, what in the world? So I went back to the store and the guy goes, there's a special tool that you need. And I bought the special tool and I went back home and I finally got it put on and my daughter has lived happily ever after ever since. And so um, why do I bring that up? Because in our series, How to Study the Bible, if you were here last week in particular, we talked about that there's all kinds of tools that we have at our disposal that help us go deeper when it comes to Bible study. And so we talked last week about sticking with it. You know, for some of us, it can be so overwhelming because it's a big book that we kind of flippantly just call the Bible and there's a lot in it. But I talked about finding the right translation. If you know this, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament to keep it simple. And, and so it's been translated to English and there's older English translations, including the King James version, but that's from hundreds of years ago. And it can feel for some of us a little bit like reading Shakespeare. And so that can be challenging. So we talked last week about finding a great translation. And then we talked about, and I have it in my hands, a study Bible. 
And this is the Life Application Study Bible. And there's all kinds of tools in here that a couple hundred years ago, it would take like a wall of resources for you to go to to try to look things up. And now we have it in, in the pages of, of a Bible. And you can also find some of these online and, and stuff like that. So it's pretty amazing. And today what I want to do, again, having talked yes, last week, excuse me, about a study Bible, what I want to do today is talk about a concordance. How many of you guys have heard of a concordance, have used a concordance, know what one is? A concordance, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you one that can feel really intimidating because it's ginormous, but this is an NIV exhaustive concordance. And last week, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, last week I mentioned a website called BibleProject.com, and that's a great one. Today, I want to mention a website called GotQuestions.com. Or you can write that down. But again, it's a, it's a group of theologians that got together and said, how do we help the average person understand some of the basics of the Bible? And if you go to gotquestions.org and you in their search engine look up what is a concordance, here's what it's going to say. And I'll walk you through this in a minute. A concordance contains an alphabetical index of words used in the Bible and the main Bible references where the word occurs. A Bible concordance is useful in locating passages in the Bible. If you can remember just one word in a verse, you can often find what you're looking for. And then it goes on to say this. Most Bible publishers place a short concordance among the back pages of the Bible, and that's in this study Bible, Life Application Study Bible. Longer, more thorough concordances are available separately, and that's obviously what we're talking about right here. And then it says, if a concordance contains all the words in the Bible, including a, an, and the, it's called an exhaustive concordance. In other words, for instance, this is the New International Version Study Bible. This is the New International Version Concordance. This literally has every word that appears in the Bible in here that you can look up. And so let me, let me walk you through a little bit of why this would be important. First of all, because we're looking at the English and for here, the New International Version, you can look up any word. The first portion of this concordance or a concordance in general is the English version according to you know, the NIV or NISP or whatever. You can look up any word. They're alphabetical. So obviously it starts with A, goes to Z and then some numerical references in English. The next portion is Hebrew which again, that's what the Old Testament was written in. And the final portion in a concordance is Greek. And that's what the New Testament was written in. So if I'm looking up a word, and this is where I want to take John chapter 21 for a second. In John chapter 21, to give you kind of a picture of it, it's the last chapter in the gospel of John. And, and it's the, the gospel is the story of Jesus, his ministry, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. As the story continues, Jesus is appearing to different people, including the disciples. And in John chapter 21, the guys are out fishing in a boat. And Jesus shows up on the shore. They freak out, make their way to shore. They're having a campfire and roasting some fish or broiling some fish or whatever. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns to Peter and this is the conversation. And I'll just read it to you. So John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. When they, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
And this can feel confusing if you just read it and, and don't maybe go a little deeper because it's this over and over like, well, you love me? Well, yeah, then we're good. Why does he have to do that three times? Now, I've said before, when you study the Bible over time, it's like a 100,000 piece puzzle that little by little pieces come together. So part of understanding this conversation is this, con th this question is asked three different times. If you know the scriptures and you go back to um, the last supper that Jesus has with the disciples, he turns to them and says, all of you are going to fall away. And Peter steps up and what does he say? He throws his buddies under the bus. He goes, hey, even if they all do, I'm not going to. And they're like, thanks, Peter. But Jesus says, in fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so what happens? After the supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would often pray. There he's praying, he's arrested, he's put on trial illegally. He goes to the cross during his crucifixion and all that happens, all of the disciples, just like Jesus said, run away in fear. Peter said, I won't do that. And yet he did do that. And then what happened? Three times... Peter is confronted like, hey, aren't you, one of his, aren't you one of his people? And Peter's like, no, I'm not. Three times, Peter basically says, I don't know Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there's a sound off in the distance. <laughs> My best impression of a rooster. And all of a sudden, Peter is filled with shame and he feels dejected along with really the rest of the disciples. And that's why in John chapter 21, they're out fishing. Why fishing? Because that's what Peter knew before he started walking around with Jesus for three years. Peter was a fisherman. Again, as you study the Bible, these pieces begin to come together and you go, that's what's going on. So when, when Peter was out fishing and Jesus shows up when he first meets him, what does he do? They catch a miraculous catch of fish. Peter kneels down and is like, my Lord and my God, this is a miracle. This is amazing. And he says, Peter, stand up. He says, Simon, stand up. No longer are you going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. And yet at the end of the gospel of John, what is Peter doing? He's fishing for fish. He feels ashamed. He doesn't feel worthy. And he goes back to what he used to know. So as the story goes, Jesus and Peter have this very last conversation in John's gospel and Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? And in English, the word is a four letter word, L-O-V-E. But that's not the case in the Greek. And in a concordance, you can look this up. So you look up the word love and what you'll find about the word love is in the whole Bible, in the New International Version, it appears 551 times. The good news is you don't have to look up all 551 times to finally find the John 21 portion because it lists it beginning in Genesis every time love appears all the way to Revelation. And what you'll find is in John chapter 21, there it is. And I highlighted it on my page here uh, ju just so I could find it in this conversation. And what you'll notice is it'll say John 21, 15, which is the beginning of the conversation. It'll give a snippet. John, uh, it says, do you truly love me more than these? So there's the word love, and that's Jesus asking Peter. And then there's another number to the right of that. That's the number that will then take you, so English, that will then take you to the Greek word for love used right there. And it's the number 26 
in this lexicon, in the concordance. So you turn there and you look it up and then you find a little bit of what it means, the Greek word for it in particular, and you'll find the same as the story continues. There's two words for love used in John 21 right here. One of them is phileo, the other is agape. Let me explain this. So you look it up and that's what you find to be true in the concordance. So there's two different words and it means something different. When Jesus turns to Peter the first time, and says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. That word agape is a deep commitment, including self-sacrificial love for me. So Peter, Jesus says to Peter, do you deeply sacrificially love me? Now, how does Peter feel at this point? Not great. Is he gonna say, absolutely, I do love you like that? No, because he feels ashamed. So Jesus says, do you love me agape, deep self-sacrificial? And Peter's response is, Lord, I love you, but he uses the word phileo. And that's what the concordance will reveal to you. The word phileo means a fondness or a friendship with affection. Not necessarily self-sacrificial or deep, but a friendship with some affection. So Jesus says, do you love me sacrificially? And Peter's like, I'm ashamed because I denied you. I, 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 I like you. Like I'm, I'm, I, we have a friendship. I'm good there. So Jesus says, but Peter, do you love me? He uses the same word again, agape. So he says to Peter, yeah, the friendship thing I get, but do you deeply self-sacrificially love me? And again, Peter in his shame of denying him and his shyness to boldly declare anything at this point, repeats the same thing he said before, Lord, I really like you. Like, I don't want to deny you again. I don't want to make a fool out of myself. I'm ashamed of who I've been. So he says, I, I like you. And Jesus the third time says, but do you love me? And he doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. And it's a beautiful picture because what Jesus does is he meets Peter on his level. He says, Peter, I know you're ashamed. Peter, I know you denied me. Peter, I know you feel like a chump and you're out fishing. And here's the thing you need to understand, Peter. I'm willing to meet you where you are because I paid the price to deal with your shame. I paid the price to deal with the fact that you denied me. And by the way, the life application version of this would help you and I understand there are plenty of times where you and I blow it where you and I don't get it right, where you and I miss the mark of doing what God intends and instead we do something selfish. We do something that would save our bacon. We do something that we look prayerfully and go, uh-oh, I messed up. Anybody wanna raise your hand and admit that? It would be all of us. And so the good news in the story is that Jesus meets Peter right where he's at feeling like a chump and says, hey, Peter, but at least the friendship thing, like we're good here. And Peter finally, almost with a sigh of relief, can go, yeah, I'm willing to admit that. And the beauty of what happens is theologians would agree that the three times is the reminder that the three times that Peter denied him is taken care of because of what Jesus did on the cross. And this reinstates Peter because it's understanding at one point in the Gospels, and again, this is putting the pieces together, and, and in years of study, you begin to understand some of this. But remember, Simon... Peter was called Simon. And at one point, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And the disciples are like, well, some say Moses, Elijah, whatever, and, and, and the prophet, great, whatever. And, and Peter, the, Jesus goes, who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? 
That's exactly accurate. And no longer will your name be Simon, but it will be Peter. And it's a play on words in the Greek, Petros, and Petros means rock. And so Peter went from being Simon to being Peter, reminding him that that, that, that is the rock of truth and you will stand on that rock and, and challenging Peter that you're going to lead this movement someday. And Peter being dejected and full of shame needs to be taken care of because he's back to fishing for fish. In the context of this verse or these verses, it's understanding in God's grace, Peter got that that grace was enough to fill him and reinstate him to help lead the church. You go, all that? It's all of that. But again, it's time and study and going deeper. It's understanding there's different words used than simply, hey, do you love me? I love you. But do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Great, feed my sheep. Let's keep going. There's more going on. And I bring this up because my hope is, as I've said before, that you and I take seriously the mandate to be people that study the Bible. I've mentioned in every one of this series, in today's part four, Acts 17.11. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they received Paul's message eagerly and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. And last week at the end of the message, here was the challenge I brought you. If any of you at some point learned to read, the onus became yours to study the Bible. And while you were five or six or seven years old, when you learned to read and nobody ever told you that, it's still true today. If you're literate at all, it's not up to you to go, hey, whatever the pastor said, that's great. I'm going to go on and hopefully next Sunday he has something good to say too. But it's you hearing something like you would hear today and going away and because you're literate and you can read and write, studying it for yourself. So we talk about using a concordance and and the value of understanding taking the words as they're supposed to be. And then there's something called a, a Bible dictionary. And again, there's dictionaries and you're familiar with those, but a Bible dictionary will help you understand the word in the Greek or the Hebrew. And this is the one I've talked about. Like when I first gave my life to Jesus back at at 17 years old, attending Marysville Pilchuck High School, I didn't really know anything. I I didn't understand the Bible. I had had a little one that I tried to read every now and then, but only got to like Genesis 6 every time. And and so when I gave my life to Jesus, I'm like, "I, I need to figure this stuff out. So I had a Bible and I went into the Bible bookstore knowing nothing and said, I just need to learn. And I bought this. It's, it's a pictorial Bible dictionary because what teenager doesn't like pictures in the book and um, kind of helps. But a dictionary will, again, help you take the word further. And so a concordance will give you the basic understanding of the word, but also where it appears in Scripture. A dictionary, for instance, here will take you, he takes the word agape. Presented in Scripture as the very nature of God, and it gives all kinds of references in, in parentheses all over the place. The greatest of Christian virtues receives definition only by listing its attributes in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the very heart of Christianity, essential to man's relationship to God and other people. Jesus taught that it hung all the law and the prophets upon itself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it goes on to talk about where love is found and what it means in Scripture, a concordance and a Bible dictionary. These are just a couple of simple tools. And again, next week, we're going to give you references where you can find online tools or if you want the old-fashioned version with actual pages, you can turn, um, offer those to you as well. What I want to finish with today is, is answering this how to study the Bible with a simple method that might be helpful for you. And so while there's all kinds of tools and study Bibles and opportunities out there, 
Side note, next week we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls and some of the things that, that people fall prey to in studying the Bible that, that maybe aren't good. And there's one in particular I want to talk about that I find a lot of angst in as a pastor in a church. And so I encourage you next week maybe to, to hear that. Um, so we'll talk about some pitfalls. We'll talk about some resources uh, next week. But today I want to finish with this. Here's a simple method, and there's plenty of methods to study the Bible. But the method is the acronym SOAP. And I know that's, you know, overly simplified and stuff, but the acronym, if you're taking notes, goes like this. S is scripture. Obviously, always start with scripture. And so the encouragement would be that maybe similar to the reading plan, you read a chapter or you read two or three chapters and then step back from reading a chapter or two or three or, or however amount it might be and, and asking yourself, what, what stuck out to me? What, what verse really seemed to, to intrigue me? And I'll just give you an example from this morning's reading. Um, before we got started this morning, I was doing the reading plan on the app on, on the phone, and I was walking through this, and it, it, Acts chapter 4 was part of what we were reading. And it's Peter and John before the Sanhedrin because they had just seen a miracle happen with a guy, and, and people are marveling and freaking out, and they're saying it was Jesus that did this. He, he, his power is alive. His Holy Spirit is working, and they're pretty upset about it. So they come and, and drag him to the side and, and, and basically you know, persecute them for speaking of the name of Jesus because they don't like that. And they stand up, and, and, it, and they, they have this courage, and it says specifically in Acts chapter 4, and this is what stuck out to me. So Scripture, read the whole chapter, in particular, this verse, they saw the courage of Peter and John and noticed that they were unschooled and ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. And many of us on our team have advanced degrees in ministry and theology and things like that. And so on one hand, it's not setting aside the value of higher education, but it is going that, look, maybe we're unschooled and ordinary, but what does it mean to be with Jesus? And so I would write down on the S portion scripture, that verse in particular, and write that out in my journal. And then the O, so scripture is the S, O is observation. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why is that such a powerful thing? And you go back to, you remember Peter feeling dejected in the boat and all this stuff, and Jesus says, hey, my grace is enough, you're forgiven. And he stands up after this day of Pentecost in Act 2 and all this, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and now he's preaching the gospel. And the whole point of the story is look at the trajectory of it is over and over, Peter spent time with Jesus. Peter, Peter spends time with the, the spirit of Jesus, filling him with that power to be a witness and sharing why the message matters. You go back to the observation part of Acts 4. Man, for people, the answer is that we would be with Jesus. Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe it's in studying the Bible. Maybe it's in community where we encourage and sharpen one another extending that kind of love that, we're ought to, that we ought to extend. But it's being in the presence of Jesus, his presence being available in our lives. Observation. The A, so scripture, S, O, observation, A, application. What would it mean for you to be with Jesus? And I already mentioned some of it, so it's repetitive in the O, but the A, application. How do I spend time studying scripture? Because the word is Jesus, according to John chapter 1. Prayer is time with Jesus. The application of man, I really want to walk out God's design in the way I've been gifted to be a part of helping people see all over our world or in our community or whatever, who Jesus is. That matters. Application, that's what I want to do. And P, it's an easy one, but it's prayer. Scripture, observation, application, and then prayer. And all of this in a journal book, write it down. It doesn't have to be pages and pages. 
but maybe the prayer is simply four or five sentences. Jesus, help me to walk out your power in my life. Help me to do what you want me to do. Help me to share boldly why my faith would matter in a world that, that maybe doesn't understand it. Give me opportunity with somebody I care about to encourage them, to build them up. Let me walk this out. Lord, help me do that. Writing out S-O-A-P. There's all kinds of ways to study the Bible, but let me end with this. If you're taking notes, write down James chapter one. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and in doing so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then in verse 23 says, anybody that, that doesn't do what the scripture says, but only listens to it, is like somebody who looks at their face in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. And the idea there is meant to be absurd. It's meant to be funny. Like you and I spend time in the morning getting ready and we know what we look like. And then we're going about our day and we walk by a mirror and there we are. And we're like, who's that? Like it's meant to be ridiculous. But James' idea there is we don't just hear a bunch of stuff, for instance, right now and walk away and go, that felt nice. But literally, what does it mean to walk out learning scripture? And that's my prayer, that for you and I, this isn't just about a bunch of knowledge. And like I said, next week, we'll talk about a major pitfall, but a few others, because there's some things I get concerned about when it comes to all the stuff we can learn about the Bible. I wanna pray and then we'll, we'll get ready to dismiss. God, there's a lot here. And, and this, this isn't some exhaustive conversation that here's all of the answers, but Lord, my hope is that some of this sparks a hunger in us to go deeper, sparks a hunger in us to use some of the tools that we've been given because it's easier to go a bit deeper because somebody's done a lot of work to simplify. Whether it be a study Bible in the right translation, or the use of a concordance or dictionary. Next week, as we talk about commentaries and, and certain study tools, God, help us to continue to take this walk deeper. That it's not just about me doing my job. I need to, I feel that conviction, I'm committed to it. But that God, for us to walk out of here and for us to take seriously the need to study scripture. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for this beautiful thing you've given us that reveals a God who cares deeply about each of our lives that the cross is forgiveness, that it's life, that we've all had our issues, but God, as we read scripture, God's sin is dealt with, mistakes we've made, stuff we've done wrong is dealt with through the message that as we study it out, we begin to see more and more clear, help that come alive in our souls as we learn to study the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.